Well, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, and no doubt those who will walk with the Lord, that song could be the anthem of your life. David walked with God, and I believe he would agree that he never walked alone, and he writes in Psalm 11, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string, to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray together. Father, we are here to learn from you and your word. We confess that uh, you are God. You have all wisdom and insight, and it is amazing grace that, that you would meet with us, that you would counsel us, that you would provide for us here in your word what we need to hear. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that You would help us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but your Spirit will help us. And we pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated and uh, keep your Bible there in Psalm 11. We're in a series of sermons that we're calling the Priority of Prayer. I think anybody who um, purposes to follow Jesus would readily say one of the things that we, uh, that that's instrumental and, and essential in walking with the Lord is uh, is is a pray is is your prayer life, and so we were coming to the Psalms, confessing what the Scripture says in Romans eight that we do not know how to pray as we ought, but we believe that God, in His providence, has provided an entire book, the Book of Psalms, to teach us how to pray. There is not a uh, experience or a human emotion that you will have that is not um, uh, evident in the Psalms. And here in Psalm 11, we're going to uh, title this sermon, How to Pray When You Feel Like Giving Up. Because if you don't feel like giving up today, maybe today's not the day. But there will come a time when you do say, I'm ready to wave the white flag. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I am ready to quit. Now, how do you pray on that day? So we see here for David that adversity has been so intense for so long that he is in his soul. Do you see in verse 1? How can you say to my soul? So these are thoughts that are going way down deep. Flee like a bird to your mountain. So what do we see here in this psalm is that someone is advising David that the trouble is so significant that it's time to leave. You need to flee like a bird to your mountain. You cannot stay here any longer. It's time to quit here and get out of here, right? You'd be better off to leave from here. And if you know anything about David's life, there were a uh, uh, a multitude of times that he faced fears like this. So so one, we've got this going on. There's there's, uh, this desire to quit. And then look at verse three. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Ever feel like that? Everything your life is built on is, is changing. You feel like that in the days in which we live, right? That uh, opinions and, and, and the view of life and the view of God and 
the greater society that we live in, it feels like the foundations are unsteady, right? Now, we're not told exactly who gave David this advice, but as we look at it more carefully, the, the, this is advice that's coming from not his enemy, it's coming from his friend, right? David, you need to leave, flee to a mountain. Look, look, verse 2, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string. They shoot in, in the dark of the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? These are words not coming as threats from an enemy. These are words coming from someone who believed they have David's best interest in mind. David spent a lot of time in danger. I want you just to see a few examples. Hold your spot there in Psalm 11 and turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I just want us to see that David is not sitting off in some ivory tower contemplating <laughs> what ought to be a healthy prayer life. He's living right in the midst of the things he describes. First Samuel 18, verse 11, Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And then look at chapter 19, verse 1. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David but Jonathan Saul's son delighted much in David Jonathan told David Saul my father seeks to kill you therefore be on your guard in the morning stay in a secret place and hide yourself Uh, just look with me while we're on this uh, train of thought in Matthew chapter 10 you see there that David had times in his life right when he felt threatened Uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 23 Jesus says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And then in John chapter 8, verse 59, I just want you to see a couple of examples of a point that I'm going to make here in a moment. John chapter 8 and verse 59 says... They picked up stones to throw at him, talking about Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. So we're talking about how to pray when you feel like giving up, but on the, on the front end, I want to say there are times someone picks up a javelin, somebody picks up stones, there are times when it'll be discerning to depart. Does this make sense? But here in Psalm 11, we're talking about a time not, not so much like that, There are other times when we're just plain discouraged. When we're just, we're just at the end of our strength, but this is a time when you need to persevere. You understand what I'm saying? There there are times we'll feel like quitting, but we need to persevere. When that time comes, Psalm 11 will be a great help for us. Or to put it perhaps another way, when the day of great discouragement comes, when your soul is sort of like what it looks like outside, gray and dark, and it doesn't seem to be a lot of light, it doesn't seem to be a lot of energy, it doesn't seem to be a lot of hope, the Spirit prayerfully will bring you to Psalm 11. And when that day comes, I hope like David, you're able to begin as he begins in verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge can we just be up front 
when uh, difficult times come, do you know what is revealed? What your refuge is, right? And this is a good question to ask as we're in Psalm 11. What is your refuge? Where is it that you go in times of discouragement, in times of distress? I just jotted down a few of our most common refuges, most common places we seek refuge. Sounds better than refuges. Is refuges a word? Let's just keep going. One, obviously, is money, right? As long as we've got enough money in the bank, if, if, if some of us were honest, our verse one would read, in money I take refuge. Or in my health I take refuge, as long as the, the, the health is good. Or my own wisdom or intelligence. I mean, I'm, 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 I can figure it out. Some of us would say another person is our refuge. So when you really count on or technology is our refuge. Or my comfort is my refuge. Or an escape is my refuge. Or some people seek refuge in substance abuse. If I just get to that, that is my refuge. I'll, I'll tell you this as an encouragement. There's only one trustworthy refuge. One of the helps of times of trouble is they expose false securities. Amen? David takes refuge in God. So our simple question, it's really simple, is we want to ask this morning, how does David do that? He says, I take refuge in God, and I think we would all say, yeah, that's a good thing to do. I mean, we ought to take refuge in God. So the simple follow-up question is, how did David take refuge in God? How do you pray when you feel like quitting? How do you keep going when even your best friends are telling you you should throw in the towel? So, four things that we want to pull out straight from Psalm 11 that will teach us how to take refuge in God. And the first one's going to be this. Psalm 11 teaches us to pray, to fight the voices of fear and frustration. We pray to fight the voices of fear and frustration. Now, uh, some of you in the room um, are, are uh, like sort of advanced in all sorts of stuff like taekwondo or judo or, or jujitsu, all, all sorts of things that you've, you've learned how to combat somebody physically. Well, praying, honestly, is, is the skill of combating things spiritually. And I'm going to be honest, if I've gotten the ring with somebody who was experienced and skilled in jujitsu, I might give myself three seconds, right, before I'm tapping out. I wouldn't be able to handle that fight very well at all. On the flip side, I want to be somebody, I'm desiring to be somebody who knows how to fight the fight of faith. And actually, as, as, as Paul says, you know, um, a physical fitness is of some value, but godliness is valuable for all things. And praying, by and large, is learning to fight back against the voices of fear and frustration. There are two things that are coming at David. The first is fear. We see that right here. How can you say to my soul, flee? That's a term of fear. Flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright and hard. What's the first thing that's coming against him? It's fear. Somebody's after me. Somebody's coming to get me, and fear is going to consume me. The second thing that is, uh, is threatening to overtake his soul is frustration. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a question of frustration. And many people, if not most people, live consumed by one or the other of these two things, right? 
I mean, some people right now in their life, some of us in this room right now, your life is paralyzed by fear. Your, consu- your soul, you know exactly what we're talking about here in Psalm 11 because this is your experience. Your soul is wrapped up in fear. And I used to not be someone who uh, uh, wrestled much with fear, and then I had children. <laughs> and I fear for them at times. And it goes down into my soul. Perhaps this morning you say, well, fear's not so much what's coming against me, but frustration. I am angry all the time. It's just, just beneath the surface. I am consumed by frustration. It's not much that sets me off. And maybe it's, this, this, could, this could be true, friends. I mean, we're here the week of Halloween when everybody puts on a mask. These things could be true that you are consumed by fear or eaten up with frustration. And a lot of, it is not evident to a lot of other people because you just keep it right here. Do you know what I'm saying? Where does fear and frustration come from? Fear and frustration are the results of sin. These are the first two things, fear and frustration, that come into the world when Adam and Eve sin. Just listen to it. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why did they hide? The Lord called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, who can fill in the blank? Afraid. Afraid. Sin brought fear into the world. And then you just keep reading. As God begins to question the man, guess what comes out of him? The man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Now what do we have? Now we've got frustration, right? And not long after that, we have their son, Cain, murdering their other son, Abel, motivated by what? Fear and frustration, right? This is what sin has unleashed in the world. Cain would not be able to say, in the Lord I take refuge. That that was not his life at all. Prayer, friends, is learning to fight back against the lies that come our way. Do you see Adam and Eve doing much praying in the garden when the tempter comes? No, they just sit there and they listen. And and they're fooled by him. Now, one way that you could understand prayer you know, pr- praying is not just memorizing some things to regurgitate, right? I mean, I think you should memorize the Lord's Prayer and those sorts, but, but not in a mindless way that you just sort of repeat the words back. Pr- praying, friends, is very much challenging the fears and frustrations that come in our own souls, but doing so in the presence of God, knowing that Jesus is by your side. Fear and frustration threaten to take ownership of your soul and prayer is fighting back and saying you don't get to do that because the lord is in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven Uh, martin lloyd jones says one of the most perceptive and insightful things i've ever read he he's one of the great preachers of the 20th century and he says one of the challenges in the Christian life is we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. Does that register with anybody? Does that make sense to where you are seated this, this morning? One of the voices, no doubt, that David's wrestling with is his own voice. How can you say 
how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain, right? How can we ask the question if the foundations are destroyed? Now, we have to learn the art of talking to ourselves more than listening. And this is, happens all over the Psalms. I'll give you a couple of examples. Look at Psalm 42, verse number 5. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? It's a great question to ask, isn't it? When you've got a day of fear or frustration, a great question to ask is Why? Why are you cast down, my soul? Hope in God, for I shall praise in him my salvation and my God. In that one verse, you see what we're talking about. So, someone, again, uh, as Psalm 42 says, the sons of Korah, is having a day when they've been listening, been listening to themselves. Cast down. Why are you cast down? So the response is, I've got to talk back. And I'm not talking about, you know, that you all the time talking. You understand what I'm saying, right? I'm talking about going crazy, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the internal battle that's a fight for the mind, right? And you've got this flesh in you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've got this old man that's still there, and he's still talking. The day is going to come where he'll be silenced forever. But look at Psalm 103. Until that day comes, this is what we have to learn to do. This is what praying is, friends. Psalm 103, this entire psalm is what we're talking about. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from out of the pit, and so on and so forth. Why do we do fighter verses as a church family? Just have something to print in the bulletin? No, this is your arsenal, friends. This is what fighter verses are. And unfortunately, we, sometimes we, we, we get the wrong titles. There's a, a memory verses or, or something that communicates that it's not important. I just got to tell you, there's probably not anything more important in the bulletin than the fighter verse. This is how you learn to fight back. Because we don't, this is important. This, this is where theology comes in. Do you think that you have the resources in and of yourselves to fight back against your sin nature? The answer is you don't. I don't. We need him to speak to us so the truth comes in here because it doesn't, the, your heart is not a spring bubbling up with truth. The heart, here's what the Bible says, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And if you spend all your time listening to yourself and not speaking the truth of God's word to your, to your own soul, which is what praying is by and large, then your life very likely is consumed by fear or frustration. And I'm, we're, we're making the point because that is not, that is not the life that God would purpose for you to live. He's got more for you. Not consumed by fear and frustration, which are the damaging consequences of sin, but joy and peace, which are the fruit of the Spirit. Have to know that uh, uh, as I was thinking on the psalm, I think it's important to know that sometimes you'll get counsel from well-meaning people that is not for your good. Let me give you a couple of examples. Luke chapter thirteen. Jesus has given counsel. It's actually a, it might be a surprising source to us where it comes from. Just ask the question: um, Did Jesus ever receive input that was not helpful? 
uh, one probably immediately comes to your mind, and we, we will look at that. But let's start here in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. Luke 13, verse 31 reads, At that very hour some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, by and large, the Pharisees demonstrate that they are opposed to Jesus and ultimately very much opposed to his, his message. But there were some, like Nicodemus and others, who uh, weren't, at least at this time, completely opposed to, to him. Get away from here. Why? Herod wants to kill you. The wicked bend the bow. They fitted the arrow to the string to shoot the, at the, in the dark of the upright in heart. Say, Herod's going to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I will finish my course. Isn't that a wonderful response? Jesus says, I'm not quitting. I'm going to finish what I came to do. The other time that Jesus receives bad counsel from a well-meaning individual, you've probably already thought about this in your mind, Matthew 16, verse 21. Matthew 16 and verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and the elders, from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Well, let's just be honest, Peter didn't really know what he was saying, right? He just thinks, well, this whole talk of Jesus being killed and chief priest, no, no, that's not going to happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And friends, 99.999% of the counsel that you will ever receive in your life is coming from someone who's setting their minds on things of men and not on things of God, even well-intentioned, quote, unquote, responses. Here's a principle for your, for your life. It's very rare that you'll find a friend who wants for you what God wants for you. It's another reason, verse 1 In the Lord I take refuge. David doesn't say, in Jonathan I take refuge. And Jonathan was a great friend. But in the Lord, in the Lord I take refuge. You should ask yourself if your closest counselor, the person that you go to regularly for help or advice or insight, does he or she walk with God? And even if the answer to that question is yes, Even if the answer to that question is yes, very few people. Well, uh, here's a quote that I read, came across as I was studying. The love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptations. That's true. That's true. That's why we seek God in prayer. In the Lord, I take refuge. So, So one, we pray to fight the voices of fear and frustration. In your life this morning, are you eaten up by one or the other of these things? And we'll know that God is inviting you into a deep prayer life to fight those very things. Secondly, using Psalm 11, we pray to recognize the hand of God in the testing. 
The hand of God in the testing. Psalm 11, verse 4, the Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. You've probably noticed that there are uh, doing some construction here at the bridge over 301 on Sunset, right? Maybe you've been driving along and you've seen the big road is closed sign or a detour and so on and so forth. Now, I, I hope, I hope they plan to test the bridge before it reopens, don't you? you say, are we good? I think we're good. Let's hope, let's, let's hope. No, I hope they don't do that. It made me think that years ago, I took a group of students to New Orleans and to get there, I don't know if you've ever driven from here to New Orleans, but by the way, if you ever drive from Rocky Mountain to New Orleans, I'm just going to take you. It takes forever. That's the amount of time. I don't tell you what the GPS tells you, that it's 27 hours. This, no, the answer is forever. It's forever away. So we were leaving Rocky Mountain. We drove, and we were finally getting close, and then uh, we're driving along the highway, and then all of a sudden I'm driving along, and all the earth is gone. And I'm just on this bridge that looks like it's headed to nowhere, and it's just surrounded by water. And one of the few things that I feel like I do well in my life is, is drive in kind of a calm sort of way. But I'll just be honest with you. I've got 15 rambunctious young people in the van that I'm driving. And I look around and there's nothing but water and it's going on for miles and miles. At least that's how it felt. I hope they tested that bridge, right? Before they just let people drive out there. You see what he's saying here? The, the Lord is in his holy temple. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. Trials are authenticity tests for our faith. When trials come into your lives, as the scripture says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God is giving us grace when he tests our faith to see if our faith is the real thing ahead of time before we stand before him. Amen? It's good of him to do this. If, If you go through trials... And you realize that your true, sincere hope is in money. That's good that you realize that ahead of time. If you go through t- trials and you realize your hope really is in your own sort of ability to figure things out, it's good for you to get in a situation where your strength isn't sufficient. Because, friends, your strength isn't sufficient. That's why many of us would only recognize our need of God when our own limitations are exposed. The best example in all the Bible of this is Job Here was a man who had everything in his life fall apart except one thing, right? He lost everything. He lost his income. He lost his job. He lost his business. He lost his family. He lost his own health. And when he had hardly a friend left, he had one person come up to him. And as a, by way of reminder, sometimes your best friends give you your worst advice. You remember what his wife said to him? His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall not receive disaster? Job 23.10, he goes on to say, he knows the way I take. He has tried me. I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. 
I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. I take that to mean Job would be all about the fighter verses. But he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. He has had everything that you can lose. He has lost in the only thing he's got left is his relationship with the Lord, which is the one thing you have that cannot be taken from you. And in the midst of all that, Job is not paralyzed by fear and he's not eaten up by frustration. He has recognized the hand of God in the testing. Third, we pray to see the sovereignty of God in the most difficult times. Verse 7 is a confession and a declaration for the Lord is righteous. Tell you what, friends, it's a great mark in your life if you go through the trial and you come out the other end and your declaration is the Lord is righteous. The true foundation of the righteous will never be destroyed because God will never cease to be God. As back to this question in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, friends, the foundation of the righteous is eternally secure. And I'll give you one more, and we'll think it through, is number four, pray to remember the final outcome. We'll read this together, and then... um, uh, and the, in the same way we want to con- consistently keep this uh, principle before us is the Psalms teach us to pray, but as we uh, pray the Psalms, we should know that all, all, like all the rest of the Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus. So I'm going to read verses 5 through 7, and I want you to find Jesus in it with me. He won't be hard to see. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. Do you see Jesus there? Let's connect it to the Gospels, Luke chapter 22. Turn with me there, because I want you to know that Psalm 11 and then verses 5 through 7 in particular are dripping with Jesus. Let's go to when the wicked had bent the bow. Let's go to when Jesus was praying, fighting fear and frustration. Luke 22. Let's look at verse 39. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, notice his phraseology, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Friends, what is he facing when he's in such agony here? Look at verse 6 of Psalm 11. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind. These words aren't just thrown out. They're they're, um, Holy Spirit precise shall be the portion of their cup. When Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. That's the cup he's talking about. God's righteous and holy wrath. God who hates the wicked. God who is against the one who does violence. This is the cup that he's going to drink when he goes to Mount Calvary. And I want you to see, friends, that verse 7, the Lord, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The only, the only way that that can be true for us is that Jesus Christ took the cup instead of us. He who is perfectly righteous Well, the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, says it best. He who knew no sin became sin. This is what Jesus is agonizing over in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to go to the cross and he will turn his face from me so that those who are wicked can one day behold his face. When I see the face of our King, it will not be because I earned it. It will be because he took my wickedness on himself. He drank the whole cup and left not a drop over for me. The Lord is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. And friends, there's never been anything, uh, a deed done that's more righteous than the righteous one becoming as if he were the wicked one in order that the wicked ones could be clothed in his righteousness. And there at Calvary, the foundations of the righteous, they're not destroyed. The foundations of the righteous are eternally established. As he took the coals of the wicked, fire and sulfur in a scorching wind. As he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in response to that, the choir and all the rest of us, our proclamation can be, never once was I forsaken because the one Jesus Christ was forsaken instead of me. I'll give you a closing illustration. I love how Psalm 11 is bracketed by these two statements. In the Lord I take refuge. The upright shall behold his face. Part of taking refuge in the Lord is knowing that no matter what comes in this life, that's the end result, right? We read a few weeks ago, Romans 8, what shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing will. If, verse, if the first phrase of uh, 11.1 is true, the last statement of Psalm 11 will be true. If he is your refuge, and our refuge is Christ and him crucified, Amen. If Christ crucified on our behalf is our refuge, then we shall behold his face. I read a story or heard a story this week of um, 
a man named William Montague Dyke. He was in, uh, British, in Britain 100 years ago or so, and in an unfortunate childhood accident at the age of 10, he was blinded. Uh, that didn't prevent him from uh, continuing on to the university and graduating with high honors, and he fell in love with a daughter of a, a high-ranking British naval officer. They were planning to get married, and William was told that there was a surgeon who could perform surgery that would restore his sight. So it was just a one-shot deal. They'd have the surgery, and either he'd be able to see, or all hope of seeing would be gone. Now, this was his plan, and I'm not saying that it was what he made. I don't know. I'm a little more cautious than him. But William decided he would have the surgery, and after the operation, he insisted on keeping the bandages covering his eyes until the day of his wedding. And not just until the day of his wedding, he wanted to keep the bandages on until he was on the platform and his bride came down the aisle. That was his plan. And so here's William Surgery's been performed, his eyes are bandaged, his dad is his best man, and standing beside his dad is the surgeon. I mean, talk about being put on the spot, right? So the bride enters, and she comes up, and he can hear her as the music's playing, and she's standing before him, and as you would well imagine, the entire audience is locked in. So the surgeon gets the scissors out, And very carefully walks to William and begins to cut the bandages off. And then he's got to unwind them, his bride standing before him. And the bandages come off. The congregation leans in. He looks at his bride and he says, You are far more beautiful than I ever imagined. Now, that's a wedding, friends, nobody would forget. One day, we will behold the Lord's face. And having walked by faith and not by sight, when the bandages, as it were, are taken off, and you see him, Psalm 11, verse 7, the upright shall behold his face. Friends, listen to me. On that day, when that day comes, you will say, I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm glad I didn't throw in the towel. And what's going to sustain you till that day? Here's the only thing that sustains you until you see him. Is that Jesus, in the garden... Father, if there be any other way, I'm going to flee like a bird to my mountain, right? That he didn't quit. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray together. Here's my concluding statement before we pray, right? My concluding statement, then we're going to pray, have a time of invitation, is this. When the day comes, the righteous, we're only righteous because of Christ. Amen? When the righteous stand and they see his face. Friends, this is just, I really believe this. Whatever had you so wrapped up in fear, 
or so consumed by frustration melt away in light of his glorious face. Can you hold on to that promise? Can you hold on to it in your worst moments of fear or frustration when everybody around you is saying you should throw in the towel? Can you hold on to this hope? Christ and him crucified, bringing me home. I'll behold his face. Let's pray together. Father, we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I thank you that the Lord is righteous. I thank you that the Lord is in his holy temple. I thank you that you've opened the way back, Father, to yourself through Jesus. I thank you that he who knew no sin, he who knew not one bit of wickedness, bore the wrath of the Father as if he were wicked. He... he, He came in my place. He's my propitiation. He's my substitutionary atoning sacrifice. Stood in the gap. Father, you answered the prayer request of Psalm 11.6 by taking it yourself so that there will be coming a day not long from now at all when we will behold your face. God, in light of that, what is there to be afraid of? What is there to be angry about? Father, sustain us by your grace. Teach us to pray from the Psalms, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.